Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Welcome Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Pitching week continues. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank, Scott, and Chris all here on Tuesday, February 20th. Today on the show, starting pitcher preview, part two. We'll pick things back up with ADP, try and get through as many names as humanly possible, and we will wrap up with our favorites to draft inside the top 40 starting pitchers a little bit later on. Let's just get right back into starting pitcher ADP via Fantasy Pros. Yesterday, we left off with Logan Webb, and today we will pick things up with Tarek Skubal, who is the SP15 in ADP, 51.8 is that ADP. And this one might surprise some people, but damn, Skubal was awesome when he returned from injury last season among starting pitchers with 80 innings. Skubal ranked fifth in ERA, first in FIP, first in XFIP, first in Sierra, sixth in K per nine, second in K minus walk rate, and sixth in swinging strike rate. He gets strikeouts. Elite ground ball rate, limits barrels, limits hard contact, and walks. Uh, He throws hard from the left-hand side, has a devastating changeup. I think one of the best already in the game, and a decent slider that he uses to get lefties out. Some knocks against Tarek Skubal is that his schedule was quite easy down the stretch. If you look at his final eight starts, the Guardians, Cubs, Yankees, White Sox twice, Angels, A's, and Royals And there is a lack of track record here. He hasn't necessarily done it over the course of a full season yet. Scott, are you in or out at the cost? Tarek Skubal. I'm in. I wish I could get him as late as the 15th starting pitcher. I find that in our own drafts, which are usually among smart fantasy baseball analysts, he he doesn't last that long. So I'm not able to draft Tarek Skubal that much. You already gave the stat that among pitchers with at least 80 innings last year, Tarek Skubal led in both expected ERA and FIP, but he was way ahead of the pack in both of those categories. He was 72 points better than number two in expected ERA. He was 83 points better than number two in FIP, again, among pitchers with at least 80 innings. Uh, So he is... Yeah, with the improvements he made last year, picking up a mile per hour and a half on his fastball, uh, which made it, which made it so he didn't have to rely so much on a suspect slider and could really get the most out of that changeup, and terrific control, terrific strike, like dominated all three legs of, legs of the FIP triangle. That's how he finished with a FIP solo, and I, I think it's totally legit. Uh, in fact, I've said a few times in the off season, I'm going to go ahead and commit to it. Unless he gets hurt or something this spring, Tarek Skubal is my choice to be AL Cy Young winner this year. Obviously, his home park does him a lot of favors too. And, uh, you know, obviously he has to prove he can take on that sort of workload. But what I liked most about his, his strong finish is that that's really when the Tigers began to stretch him out. So his first few outings coming back from that uh, that that elbow flexor surgery. You know, he was going four, maybe five innings. In September, well, really, beginning in mid-August, that, that stretch where Tarek Skubal was at his most dominant, 
uh, it was it was eight total starts. He went six innings or more in six of those eight, and seven innings or more in three of them. So, as he stretched out, he got even stronger. I think that's a great sign for Tarek Skubal. And um, you know, he's already being drafted in a range where you don't necessarily know what to expect from these pitchers workload wise. So I, I don't hold that as a huge knock against him. I'm I'm totally in on Tarek Skubal as an ace this year. All right, Framber Valdez, next up, ADP is 54.2 as the SP16. It was a tale of two seasons for Framber last year. First 16 starts, a 249 ERA, 105 whip. Final 15 starts, a 455 ERA and a 122 whip. And then he was pretty awful in the playoffs as well. He sprained his ankle on June 10th. Actually, maybe that's a little bit early. It was in June. It might have been late June. Uh, then Dusty Baker, then manager, um, skipped Valdez's start on July 1st. He wasn't the same after that. I haven't found anything that actually blamed the ankle or, or proved this. This is just my own investigative work, but I had Valdez on a few teams last year, and I remember him just not being the same after that injury. So perhaps it was a thing. Uh, regardless, he has become a reliable starter over the past three years. A 313 ERA, a 117 whip during that span. He's thrown right around 200 innings. Two years in a row, the sinker velocity continues to climb up to a career-high 95.3 miles per hour last year. Chris, do you trust Valdez as a rock-solid SP2, maybe even an SP1 if you wait a little bit, or does that second half kind of concern you? Is it a sign of things to come? I can't say it's definitely not a sign of things to come, but given how steady he's been over the past three seasons, you know, really since, I mean, even going back to 2020, where I was skeptical of the increase, the improvements he made in, in his control. We're going on really four really, really good years from Framber Valdez. It's not ace level production. It's kind of sub ace level production, right? Like usually a low to mid threes ERA, usually a one to 1.5, maybe 1.2 whip got to 200 strikeouts last year. I, I think what I like about Framber Valdez is, the overall profile feels safe, whether it's a three, five ERA or a three ERA. I, I don't know what it's going to be, but I think it's going to be in that range. The innings feel pretty safe. He's been very healthy over the past couple of seasons. I put him right there with, you know, maybe a little bit behind Logan Webb, but he's in that like Logan Webb, Aaron Nola. I, I think George Kirby belongs in that group of guys that I just think are really, really good SP twos who pair really, really well with one of those high strikeout aces. Yeah, I think that makes sense, Sue. It pitches for a really good team. The run support should be there. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. It feels like a pretty high floor pitcher as your you know, SP2. The, the one, one thing is he became slightly less dominant in terms of ground balls last season. Um, the but, but stat got, cast ground ball more, rate. He did get more strikeouts, though. So Right, right. Sense. So it seems like there was some kind of trade-off there where he went from 67% ground ball rate uh, per stat cast in 2022 to 55%. It might be slightly different on fan graphs, but his average launch angle, negative 3.6 degrees to 4.2 degrees. Mm -hmm. It seems like there was a, a, a change there. What's weird is he didn't, like, he changed his arsenal a little bit you know, through more changeups is the the, spig the biggest thing, but I'm not sure what the explanation for the changes in that ground ball profile to the point where I think it's probably mostly a fluke, but even if it's not, 
if he can keep the strikeouts where they were, I, I don't have too much concern. Didn't, about he, it. didn't he start using a cutter a lot more? Yeah, have he did. Data open. Uh, he threw the cutter 13% of the time last year. It was 9% or 10% of the time in 2022. And so the usage may have varied over the course of the season, too. I think maybe, early yeah. on he was throwing more cutters and yeah. maybe he got away from that in the second half. I'm just going off memory here. So correct me if yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, no, that, that looks. That looks about right. He started throwing it more as 2022 went on. He opened 2023 throwing it closer to 20% of the time, and then it kind of dropped off from there. All right, Freddie Peralta is next up. SP17, the ADP is 57.2. With Peralta, you are getting big strikeouts. Among starting pitchers with 160 innings last year, Peralta ranked fourth with 11.4K per nine. He was fifth in swinging strike rate, 14.4%. His 3.86 ERA was inflated. He got off to a rough start. But he was a league winner down the stretch. Final 11 starts, 244 ERA, .85 whip. 92 strikeouts to 11 walks, a 16.6% swinging strike rate during that time. He's become a more complete pitcher over the years. Uh, also threw his fastball harder than ever, averaged 94.4 miles per hour on that pitch. Scott, the knock here on Peralta is that he does have a history of shoulder injuries. His 165 and two-thirds innings last year were a career high. How much does that worry you with Freddie Peralta? In past years, it would have worried me more. But again, I am in, in an environment where it's difficult for a pitcher to distinguish himself from the glob. I am selling out for upside harder. I'm selling out for strikeouts harder. And so I'm willing to overlook the durability issue for Freddie Peralta more, uh, especially since how, many, how, how much later is he going than somebody like Tyler Glass now? He's going... Probably Couple rounds later on average. 20 picks, I would say. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. A couple rounds later on average. You know, and, and obviously the ratios for Freddie Peralta, I'm not saying that two round discount isn't deserved because the ERA has been a little less predictable for Freddie Peralta from year to year. He has some control issues from time to time. But man, his whips are consistently excellent. That's he the is, one thing. Yeah. Is he a fly ball pitcher? He's got to be with hit rates that low between the strikeouts and the fly balls. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. More. Yeah. He got hurt a little bit by home runs last year. So that would make sense. So that, and that would explain some of the ERA volatility as well for Freddie Peralta. You know, I, I obviously I'm, I'm, we're coming off that ridiculous 11 start stretch last year. You mentioned the 16.6% swinging strike rate during that, Frank. That would have been to put that in perspective. Uh, the only pitcher with a better full season number than that was Spencer Strider. So it was, you know, Freddie Peralta was as hard to hit as anybody and as uh, dominant. If, if, if you like me say swinging strikeout rate as one of the best shorthand indicators of dominance, then Freddie Peralta was up there with anybody. And so I think this pick is justified. Uh, uh, there, there have been drafts given that, I like to usually spend my first three, maybe even four picks on hitters. There have been drafts where I've taken Freddie Peralta as my ace. And I know that comes with a certain amount of risk, but you know, obviously as I, as I laid out in the part one starting pitcher preview, uh, I try to mitigate that risk by drafting 
four pitchers in the 15 to 25 range. It's just that Freddie Peralta happens to be on the higher end of that range. So he's often one of the first ones I go with. I, I think it's worth noting he's on the opposite end of the spectrum with Nola and Framber and I can't remember who the other guy we mentioned there, Logan Webb, Logan Webb. in terms of being Freddie Peralta is probably much better in Roto than he is yep. in points leagues because Freddie Peralta, I believe, had two starts last year of more than six innings. He just does not pitch consistently deep into games. Yeah, last year, I believe so. That's, I know that's, that was an issue, issue in the past. I'll, I'll double check. I mean, you could be right. Uh, more of, of more than six. More innings, than six innings. Yeah. No, okay. he got to six yeah. innings pretty regularly, but yeah, that okay. was it. Right. Um. So yeah, that that's the concern there. He had one of six and a third, one of seven. He doesn't go as deep into games as a lot of the other higher end starting pitchers. Um. I think he was and all about that five though, and a half innings per start last year. This is a good time for me to reiterate that the whole idea of selling out for strikeouts at the expense potentially of durability is really just a roto yeah. strategy or a category strategy. Uh, the 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 sort of misfire disaster starts are less hurtful in head-to-head points leagues, or really, really, I guess, any head-to-head league because they mm-hmm. don't, the damage from that start doesn't carry over for the rest of the season. You start fresh the next year. So I'm, I'm a little less concerned about globby pitchers and points leagues in particular. And so, yeah, I agree. Freddie Peralta, Kodai Senga, who we're going to talk about soon, lower in points leagues than Roto. I did want to correct myself. Uh, Tyler Glass now going about 14 picks ahead of Freddie Peralta on average. So, you know, not... Two rounds, not 20 picks worth, but about a round or a round and a half, depending on the size of your league. Real quick, let's uh, quickly promote a few things. Join our FBT Facebook group if you haven't already. Facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. You can join up with a bunch of listeners, supporters of the podcast who are asking questions, whatever kind of question you have, a draft-related question, keeper league, trade, whatever it might be, you want to talk about a certain player, you can uh, hop in our Facebook group and you can ask away. Or, and, or, you can follow us on TikTok as well, at FBTPod. We uh, create a bunch of short videos that we put out on YouTube. We also put them on TikTok. Follow us at FBTPod on TikTok. Let's get back into ADP. Next up is Blake Snell. ADP is 58.4 as the SP18 Currently remains a free agent coming off his second Cy Young Award. And some fun Cy Young stats, I always like to bring these up, that I read uh, over on MLB.com after the season ended. Snell became the first AL-slash-NL pitcher since 1913 when earned runs became official in both leagues. To lead the majors in both ERA and walks, he became the first pitcher since early win in 1959 to lead the majors in walks while winning the Cy Young. Uh, Chris... What do we do with Blake Snow? Uh, <laughs> there is probably not a pitcher in baseball whose previous start, previous week, previous month, or previous season tells you less about what they are likely to do in the coming season. Like last year, I remember, Frank, you were pretty excited about Blake Snow, and a big part of it was Towards the end of the season, he had this incredible run. And it was basically he just simplified things. He just threw his fastball and slider, and he was awesome. His curveball and changeup weren't good pitches for him, and he ditched them and was amazing. Last year, he wins a Cy Young while I believe throwing his slider less than he had any season since 2020. 
it's mm-hmm. th- nothing about him makes sense. Like there is one thing you can be certain with, with Blake Snow. He's going to get a lot of strikeouts. Other than that, like he's had an ERA of 4.2 or worse in two of his past five seasons. He has had a whip better than 1.2 once in his past five seasons. He has gone his ERA by year 4.29, 3.24, 4.20, He hasn't been within a run of his previous year. Okay, no, sorry, that's not true. 2020 to 2021, he was 0.96 runs removed. It's just to say that he is consistently inconsistent. You were, we were talking about dropping him last May. He had a 5.40 ERA on May 19th. And then he went on to win the Cy Young Award. Mm, There's a decent chance that if you drafted Blake Snell last season, you got zero value out of him. Because you might have dropped him. And so that's one to say, hey, if you draft Blake Snell, don't drop him when things are going poorly. Because he's probably going to figure it out at some point. I don't think his roster rate ever dropped below 90% for what it's worth. But yes, I mean, it was was a discussion on this podcast. Do you drop? In fact, it's been a discussion the last three years for Blake Snell. (laughs) Because even deeper into 2022 and 2021 was he struggling. And it wasn't just he had a high ERA. But when Mm -hmm. he struggles, he's walking four or five guys to start. He's not even going five innings. He is utterly useless. And then last year was the first time since 2018 that he threw more than 130 innings in a season. He's only done that twice in his career. So he and he's won a Cy Young both times. It's <laughs> he's yeah. he's impossible to predict. My heuristic when it comes to Blake Snell has just been when the market is high on Blake Snell, sell Blake Snell. When the market is low on Blake Snell, buy Blake Snell. And that has worked out pretty well over the past five seasons or so. I faded him after the Cy Young Award. He was really bad that year. So I I'm not saying Blake Snell will definitely be bad this season. My hunch is he will be pretty good this season, but I don't want to be the one to draft him. And I feel I said this with Cody Bellinger during the outfield preview. The fact that Blake Snell has not signed yet makes me Mm -hmm. feel better about that position because it clearly the very, very smart people who run major league baseball teams also cannot figure out what to make of Blake Snell. Yeah, I mean, part of that is Scott Boris as his agent. And sure. coming off a of Cy Young season, Scott Boris probably expects him to get $350 million. So um, I, I'm part of that might be unrealistic expectations on his camp's part. Sure. Uh, so, but I did want to bring up the complication of him not signing yet. Because here, here has been my stance on Blake Snell. I think we all have him as a bust this year, right? Just because of, give, given, given that even in his Cy Young season, he had five walks per nine. And given all the inconsistencies over his career, it's 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 scary to invest in him like an ace or a very high number two. Um, but because he is so prolific with strikeouts and because I find strikeouts to be the only reliable stat in this environment, I still found myself drafting him. Even, even acknowledging all the risks and the bust potential, I still found myself drafting him just because... In a lot of the the like le- expert leagues, he would slip farther mm-hmm. than than the Freddie Peraltas and Kodai Sinkas of the world. But spring training has begun. 
not games. They haven't started playing games yet, but but spring training, everybody's in camp. Pitchers are getting ready. Blake Snell doesn't even have a team yet. So with each passing day, the likelihood of him being ready for the start of the season and, you know, at, 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 at some point, it's going to get to a point where there's pressure on him to ramp up quicker than maybe he should. And, and so that, that might mm-hmm. create more risks on top of the risks that already exist. So I'm very close. I mean, who he, he could sign, he could come to terms with the team any day now. And maybe by the time you're listening to it, it's a moot point. But I'm not necessarily expecting that because we haven't heard a lot of buzz lately. And uh, I, I'm to the point where I, th- I think it's probably worth fading Blake Snell f- just for that reason, just because he's going to be so far behind in the ramp-up process when he finally does sign. It could be that everybody starts fading him and he drops outside yeah. the top 30 in SP and suddenly he's a value again. But, but as things stand now with him being, what are we talking about, 16th, 17th? Uh, 18th. 18th, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm pretty reluctant to pay that price for him. All right, let's take our first break. When we return, we'll get into Kodai Senga here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today, into the sixth round of ADP in a 12-team league, of course, Kodai Senga and Logan Gilbert. Who you gonna call? Kodai Senga. The ADP is 62.2 as the 19th starting pitcher off the board, a very impressive rookie season for Senga, where he posted a 298 ERA with 202 strikeouts. That ghost fork is real. 110 batting average against, 27% swinging strike rate on the pitch. Control, a problem. 4.2 walks per nine for Senga. It did get better over the final three months, 3.3 walks per nine. Uh, Scott, sometimes I do wonder if maybe we're pushing Senga a little bit too quickly. Maybe we're propping him up a little bit too quickly. Bad control, questionable team context with the Mets. The strikeouts will be there, but what if teams start to lay off this forkball a little bit? I don't know. I'm just kind of like talking myself out of it. Maybe I shouldn't. What do you think about Senga? I see him as very similar in terms of expected impact and uh, profile to, to a guy we've already talked about, Freddie Peralta where I think their biggest issues are, are they going to give you enough innings and are they going to limit walks well enough? I, I get what you're saying. I mean, if, if you want to do the full season statistics are more predictive than partial st- season statistics things, then then Kodai Senga's control looks a lot worse. But, I, you know, I, I feel like it's a different case for him because adjusting to a new ball, a new league, all of that. Uh, so uh, his first... 
his first Kodai Senga's, let me find the exact number here. Kodai Senga's first 13 starts, he issued four or more walks seven times in those first 13 starts. And then he only once the rest of the season issued four or more walks in a start. So it was a night, well, I won't say night and day improvement, but it was, he turned on a dime there in terms of how bad his control was. And from that point forward, he was pretty close to being a fantasy ace. The majority of the season, uh, more uh, slightly more than half the season, Kodai Senga was pretty close to being fantasy ace and the strikeout numbers were good the whole time. So I, I think... I think I had a lot more questions about Kodai Senga going into last season than I do going into this season. And of course, he was going considerably lower too. But um, honestly, he he exceeded my expectations in a major way. I now see him as one of the best strikeout pitchers. And uh, yeah, I think if we're giving Freddie Peralta a pass for for uh, workload and, and control, the concerns we have there, then we should do the same for Senga. Next up, Logan Gilbert. The ADP is 67 as the 20th starting pitcher off the board. Maybe I'm selling him short, but it just feel feels like Logan Gilbert has settled in as a solid SP2, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's where he's being drafted right now. In three seasons, he has a 376 ERA and a 114 whip with just under a strikeout per inning. That kind of feels like what you should expect. He's thrown 185-plus innings two years in a row. He started throwing a splitter last year about 15% of the time, and it was a great pitch for him. Maybe he starts throwing it a little bit more, could up the strikeout rate a little bit. Uh, Chris, is there another level for Logan Gilbert? He turns 27 in May, or are you with me? Rock solid SP2. It feels like there's probably not all that much room to grow here, but I do think it's interesting that like George Kirby gets the benefit of the doubt on so much latent upside. And then Logan Gilbert, I guess, because he made the the switch that we want George Kirby to make. He started throwing that splitter a lot more and it didn't really make him a better pitcher. We're kind of just writing it off as well. He is what he is. And maybe that's the case, but the, the Mariners pitchers are always tinkering. And I, I don't, I haven't seen any specific reports about Logan Gilbert tinkering. Uh, George Kirby's throwing a knuckleball, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw that report. <laughs> he threw he threw one last <laughs> he threw year. threw one last year. For uh for Tim Wakefield. Yeah. It, it, but, it was pretty awesome. But he I might throw um, two this year. Maybe two. But the thing with Gilbert is maybe there's not a high ceiling here. I think there's a really, really high floor. He's got elite control, not quite George Kirby control. He's got good but not great strikeout rates. He's got Average-ish quality of contact, but he's got, I think, the longest extension in the league among starting pitchers. He releases the ball closer to the, the home plate than any other starting pitcher in baseball, I believe. So I think that helps the stuff play up. And you can see some tweaks. Like the slider swing and miss rate is pretty good. The splitter was a legitimately great pitch for him last season. 35% whiff rate. 188 expected Woba allowed with that pitch. I think you can you can envision a world where Logan Gilbert makes a few tweaks to help him take a big step forward. And I think he is closer to George Kirby than his ADP probably deserves. And mm-hmm. I'm much more likely to draft Logan Gilbert. I think yeah. he's unlikely to be a top five starting pitcher, but like low end top 12 seems entirely reasonable for him. When I first was making out my rankings in October, before there was any ADP data, I had no clue what anyone else was doing. 
I was tempted to rank Logan Gilbert ahead of George Kirby. I, I don't, mm-hmm. they, they seem so similar to me. I don't understand why it's two rounds difference in ADP. I mean, Logan Gilbert's a phenomenal control pitcher as well. Mm-hmm. 1.7 walks per nine last year. So I, they just, yeah, I mean, strikeout rates are similar. Whips are similar. And, and I do think you reach a, a point of diminishing returns with like super low walk rates. And I think that's probably the point, right? Like, I don't know if the gap between a five, 4.7% walk rate and a 2.5% walk rate is if it really helps, like obviously it's different for every pitcher, but it's one of those things where Gilbert is so close to the top end that I'm not sure the, the negligible edge that George Kirby has justifies the gap in their price. So yeah, I, I have them, I think, back-to-back in my rankings. They are 14 and 15. I do have Kirby one spot higher, but they're much closer for me than they are for the world. After Logan Gilbert, we get Grayson Rodriguez with an ADP of 72.6, the round 6-7 turn in a 12-team league. And Grayson Rodriguez is the SP21 off the board. Overall, the numbers don't jump out at you. But it was a tale of two seasons last year. His first 10 starts before being sent down, brutal. 735 ERA, a 174 whip. Control was just off. 4.2 walks per nine. Final 13 starts after returning. 258 ERA, 110 whip. Just under a strikeout per inning, 2.5 walks per nine. So did correct that quite a bit. Uh, 13% swinging strike rate during that time and changed the pitch mix. Got rid of the cutter, increased his fastball usage. Also increased the velocity on that fastball up to 97.9 miles per hour over his final 13 starts. I think the workload's going to be there. He got all the way up over 160 innings combined last year. There's talk that he's been working on a new sinker this offseason. Already had a pretty good ground ball rate last year. Scott, are you okay with this price tag here? Grayson Rodriguez, 6-7 turn, the former top pitching prospect in all of baseball. I'm okay with it. Uh, what he did after coming back from the minors, I think, is is closer to who I thought we were getting in the first place. He went down. He worked on fastball command. He worked on the shape of his breaking balls, and he mm-hmm. came back, as you already pointed out, looking like a different pitcher, 258 ERA. Went from throwing 62% of his pitches for strikes before the stint in the minors to 68%. Afterward, And that is a night and day difference in terms of being one of the worst in the league at throwing strikes, being one of the best in the league at throwing strikes. And uh, I mean, he has he has more pitches in his repertoire than we've even he's even really made use of use of. He was he was pretty limited with his pitch selection last year. And I think there's a lot more to unlock, maybe get that strikeout rate over one per inning going forward for what it's worth. The swinging strike rate looked better than the than the K per nine rate uh, after that stint in the minors which would suggest more strikeout potentials on the horizon too. The reason why I say I'm just okay with where Grayson Rodriguez is going is because he's going ahead of Yuri Perez. (laughs) And I don't really understand that. I mean, I have them back to back in my rankings, Mm -hmm. but Perez looks like he's at least a half step higher in terms of upside, if not a whole step higher, uh, because he is already delivering the ridiculous strikeout rates. And uh, maybe we'll have innings concerns relative to Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, I I think, what did I say the other day? Yuri Perez exceeded 120 last year. Yeah, Rodriguez got to 163. Yeah. Yeah. But 
you know, is is either of them realistically going to surpass 175? Grayson Rodriguez is more likely to, mm-hmm. but are they going to let him throw 200 innings this year? I, I find that hard to believe. So I'm not sure, practically speaking, it's it's worth getting, it's worth fixating over. Uh, the one thing I will point out is uh, Stuff Plus, whether you go with the one that's on Fangraphs or uh, the one that, you know, Saris uses in his column, Gives Grayson either either one give Grayson Rodriguez a little bit of an edge. Yuri Perez's pitch level results were actually quite a bit better mm-hmm. than Grayson Rodriguez's, but you know if you if you have faith in those metrics, you know the stuff plus metrics, Grayson has more room to grow, I guess. And I think part of that is also Yuri Perez's fastball isn't as good as you might think, given the. Uh, but we'll we'll get to him very shortly. Yeah, we'll get to him soon. I- the ADP on Fantasy Pros has Yuri Perez going 28 picks behind yeah, Grace that's Rodriguez. That's easy call for, that, for Yuri there. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. But the case is, I, I just don't think it's realistic, Chris. I, I think mm-hmm. most of the time, uh, kind of a light bulb goes off. When someone takes one of Grace and Rodriguez, Bobby Miller, or yeah. Yuri Perez, everyone kind of scrambles and says, well, I got I to gotta take the next one. I got to take the next one. So uh, they usually go pretty similarly, like top 80 picks, I would say, uh, in drafts. Three pitchers going in the 80s on average. Zach Eflin, Jesus Lazardo, and the aforementioned Bobby Miller. Zach Eflin's ADP is 82 as the 22nd starting pitcher off the board. A huge breakout season. His ADP last year was 282. A career year, his first season in Tampa Bay. 350 ERA, a 102 whip. 186 strikeouts over 177 and two-thirds innings. What did he change with the Rays? Drastically lowered the four-seam fastball usage, became mostly a sinker, curveball, and cutter pitcher. That curveball remains an elite pitch for Zach Eflin. He has amazing control. He gets ground balls. Projection systems love Zach Eflin as well. Uh, My only issue is that he's exceeded 130 innings just twice in his major league career and does have a pretty long history of injuries to both of his knees. Uh, Chris, you're getting him at a pretty big discount based on where he finished last year in drafts. Mm-hmm. Is he someone that you'll actually be targeting Zach Eflin? Absolutely. Yeah, he he is, I, I think, um, his ADP at starting pitcher is outside of the top 20, right? 22nd, yeah. I, I have him as my number 19 starting pitcher, so I like him a little bit more than his price. Uh, this is not to keep coming back to this same picture, but this is another one where it's George Kirby could be anything. He could even like, they basically had the same season, I guess. So that's not the right way to go, but it's, there's a big difference in the way they're being drafted. And I think part of it is George Kirby has better stuff. Like Zach Eflin does not pop by the various stuff metrics. You watch him. He doesn't light up the, the radar gun. He doesn't throw 95. He doesn't throw 97. Like a lot of the other guys, he's he's more in that Aaron Nola range. And he's more of a command over stuff pitcher, and he's more of a kitchen sink pitcher than a guy who has like one really, really great knockout pitch. And so I can see the case for him being certainly less safe and less projectable than some of the other pitchers being drafted ahead of him. But it's really hard to overstate how impressive he was last season. He had a 26.5% strikeout rate and a 3.4% walk rate. That is about four points higher in terms of strikeout rate than George Kirby was while being about one point higher in terms of walk rate. His expected ERA, 302. He does a really good job, Zach Eflin. 
with limiting quality of contact that he allows. There's a lengthy track record of injuries here. It's mostly lower body stuff rather than elbow or shoulder stuff. So I think that's a little bit less concerning. So I don't know, man. I'm a little surprised that Zach Laughlin's price is as reasonable as it is right now. I I think he probably does deserve to be going a little higher. He was the number six starting pitcher last season. Top 10 in both formats. I I think there's a perception that he overachieved last year. And none I, of the I, none of the skill based estimators suggest that though. Right, I, I have a hard time combating it too because I mean when Zach when the Rays made Zach Eflin their highest paid free agent pickup in, in their history last year, mm-hmm. everybody kind of snickered at it. And, and you know Zach Eflin, like he couldn't even hold down a rotation spot for the Phillies, but expected ERA re- leaders last year among pitchers with at least four hundred balls in play. Number four was Zach Wheeler. Number three was Spencer Strider. Number two was Zach Eflin ahead of Spencer Strider and expected mm-hmm. ERA. Number one, by the way, was Pablo Lopez. Uh, so that mark for Eflin was 302, nearly half a run better than his actual ERA. And, and his, his FIP, which measures different things in a lot of ways than expected ERA does, it was 301. <laughs> so XERA and, and FIP were basically in line for Eflin and, uh, and well better than his actual ERA. His walk rate was second best only to George Kirby. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, I, I'm never excited to draft Zach Eflin, but I love the, the bang price. for the buck here yeah. seems a lot better than, than some of the pitchers we talked about. Sometimes boring is good, Scott. And, and it, it's almost unfair to call Zach Eflin boring, but yeah, it seems like a good value where he's going right now. Jesus Lazardo, the ADP is 82.6, the 23rd starting pitcher off the board. Finally managed to stay healthy and had a strong season. The strikeouts are legit. 208 was the 12th most in all of baseball. Uh, up over 10K per nine, two years in a row. Posted a career-high 14% swinging strike rate. You love to see that he also got up to a career-high 178 and two-thirds innings pitched last season. He can definitely be inconsistent at times. Doesn't have the best command, allows a lot of hard contact, but he pitches in a great ballpark. The home road splits kind of bear that out as well. Uh, Scott, are you okay with Lazardo as your, in most cases where he's going, either your SP2 or better suited as an SP3 in this range? Yeah, I guess so. I have to, I haven't done that yet in the draft. Scott, you're, <laughs> you, you've turned into a robot, Scott. Let, let's have you back out and then come back in. In the meantime, Chris, you will get the word on Lazardo. Uh, better off as an SP2 or SP3 in fantasy? Ideally an SP3 because he's more in that useful but not elite range for both ERA and WHIP, especially if you trust some of the underlying stats, which suggests that he overperformed a little bit last season. He doesn't really rate out as well in terms of like the various stuff metrics as you would think. You know, Saris has him 104 uh, stuff plus, which is slightly above average, but certainly not elite. You see those elite pitchers in like the 120 plus range. So he's a, a ways off there. Um, yeah, I don't know. His slider is really, really good. His changeup is pretty good, but I, I don't know. I, I struggle with Hazel Cesardo because the the injury track record is really long here. You know, remember he missed a decent amount of time in 2022 with, I believe a forearm strain, which we all kind of viewed as, Oh no, this is, I I believe uh, Luzardo had Tommy John surgery in high school. So that uh, coming into the draft, I think that's, that was what his case. So 
we all kind of thought, oh, no, he's going to have another Tommy John surgery. It didn't happen, but I think there is still injury and certainly workload risk. But ditching the sinker was a was a good idea. I think the the trade-off there was worth making. And if you can live with what will probably be more like a mid-threes ERA than a low-threes ERA, I, I think Jesus Lazardo is a, a pretty good bet. Scotty, you're back. How do we sound? I don't know. You tell me. Sounds great. Still sound like okay. Any word on Lazardo? I'm I, I'm I don't have a great take on him, so it's probably for the best that uh, <laughs> I, I glitched out at that moment because I, given his strikeout rate, you feel like he's exactly the kind of pitcher I would key in on. But I just and and and, and you know I've said I'm fine with other health risks like Freddie Peralta. I don't know. Luzardo just feels like, I mean, the whip was still high last year. The ERA wasn't great. Uh, I don't know. He just feels like, he just feels too combustible to me. And maybe that's not, maybe that's not fair. I, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that some more, but I just, I just have, I just have a distaste for drafting him. It seems like, and I don't have a good explanation for it. He is my number two Marlin starter. Is that the same for both of you? Like no, I, I have Lazardo ahead of Yuri. Okay, uh, Lazardo is my too. second ranked Marlins starter. I have Yuri Perez ahead of him. I do too, but I wonder if Yuri Perez started to get drafted consistently ahead of Lazardo. If I change it, I mean, part of that is just I know Lazardo is going to be drafted ahead of Yuri Perez, so mm-hmm. I haven't felt a need to change it in my own rankings. He has been kind of whispered about in trade rumors yes. as well. So I did want to mention, again, those home road splits. 299 ERA at home last year in Marlins Park. Great place to pitch. 448 ERA on the road. I guess pitching in the NL East probably yeah. doesn't help that. Going His quality of contract metrics were not, quality of contact metrics were not great last year. Yeah. So if he's traded away out of Miami, obviously something that could affect his value. Let's take our final break. When we return, Bobby Miller right after this. Welcome back in. Let's pick it back up. Bobby Miller, the ADP is 86.6 as the 24th starting pitcher off the board. A strong rookie season, 376 ERA, 110 whip, just under a strikeout per inning with solid control. He gets ground balls, 48%. Does a good job limiting hard contact as well. Everything is there in terms of the pitch mix. He averages 99 miles per hour on the fastball. He has three strong secondary pitches with a curve, slider, and changeup. He ranked fifth in Stuff Plus among starting pitchers with at least 120 innings last year. He got up uh, to around 140 innings just below that. I don't see any reason why he can't go 160, maybe 170 innings this year. Maybe this is a bit of a take, but I will take Bobby Miller over Grayson Rodriguez straight up. He is, uh, I guess, of the second-year pitchers, the one that I would take first. I am absolutely in. Scott, what about you? I think I originally had him ahead of Grayson Rodriguez, but then talk of a potential six-man rotation for the Dodgers, which, by the way, I think has been overblown. It was, it was presented more I, like I there think may Dave be Roberts when, just came out and said he's just flat out not doing it. Right. I I think it was more a beat writer uh, speculated that there may be times they go with six a six-man rotation to. Mm-hmm. Uh, pres- just because you know he's looking at the arms they have, he's looking at the injury risks they have. Yeah, I'm. I'm not saying that is a big reason to fade Bobby Miller or anything, but I already had them back to back in my rankings, and I moved Bobby Miller behind Grayson Rodriguez because of that. 
and I haven't seen fit to change it. I do think that the there's I think the Orioles are counting on Grayson Rodriguez in a way that the Dodgers aren't necessarily counting on Bobby Miller. And so I think if if any if either of those organizations is going to play games with workload, whether it's a six-man rotation, whether it's a phantom IL stint, it's more likely to be the Dodgers with Bobby Miller. But just from a pure like ability upside standpoint, I think they're pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's all fair. I mean, the only pushback, I guess, as like the Bobby Miller truther here is um, obviously there's a lot of risk in the Dodgers rotation. So if anything goes wrong, like maybe they just need to rely on Bobby Miller a ton this year. That wouldn't surprise me either. I find him confusing. Why didn't he get strikeouts last year? He was well, he such a good strikeout pitcher in the minors. And even in the second half, when his strikeout rate improved, it was still less than a strikeout per inning. He's got a six pitch mix. I mean, five that he threw at least 16% of the time. It feels a little like early Walker Bueller, where it was like, why isn't he getting more strikeouts? But the overall production was still so good that it didn't really matter. I, I, I don't quite know where to end up on Bobby Miller. And I, I've kind of flip-flopped on him. I think I started out with him as a top 20 pitcher. Then I moved him down to like 27. He's 25 right now for me. I'm it's like this, this stretch in my pitcher rankings from 20 to 25, Freddie Peralta, Blake Snell, Grayson Rodriguez, Cole Reagans, Yuri Perez, Bobby Miller is just kind of like the shrug emoji, right? Like I, I, mm-hmm. I like all of them. I think they're all super talented. There are innings questions across the board with each one of them. They could all also put up a 250 ERA, and I would not be shocked if any of those six guys did that. Okay. So, I, I, since you brought up the strikeout issue, mm-hmm. there were seven, seven times last year that Bobby Miller got seven or more strikeouts. Four of those seven times were in September. Mm-hmm. He went from having a 10% swinging strike rate in his first 14 starts to having a 14% swinging strikeout strike rate in his final eight starts. So there was a switch that flipped there with mm-hmm. the strikeouts okay. late last season. Maybe it was a full season numbers are more predictive than partial season numbers, but considering it was his rookie season, um, I'm guessing I'm guessing he just figured out how to miss bats more. That's that's my that's my working theory with Yeah, I mean the the stuff metrics love him, so it could just be more picking and choosing his spots to to go chase to get chases and you know that that could be the simplest explanation all right let's uh move into the 90s in adp where we have five names joe ryan justin Steele, dylan cease joe musgrove and kyle bradish who will no longer remain in this part of the draft uh we talked about him on last friday's mailbag kyle bradish has been diagnosed with a sprained ucl in his right elbow We'll talk about him as well, but also talk about how low we've moved him down in the rankings a little bit later on. Joe Ryan, ADP is 91.2, SP25, a polarizing player that Joe Ryan, 451 ERA, is inflated, but gets a ton of strikeouts and limits walks. Among starting pitchers with 160 innings last year, Joe Ryan's 24.3% K-minus walk rate was second best to only Spencer Strider. So that is a real skill. The problem is that he allows a ton of fly balls and a decent amount of hard contact. 
you guessed it, that leads to a decent amount of home runs. 1.78 home runs per nine. That was the fourth highest in baseball. Uh, Ryan relies heavily on a deceptive fastball that he throws at the top of the zone, and his secondary pitches aren't really reliable. I'm just not sure that he has enough outside of that fastball. Chris, I'm on record saying this. I wrote him up as a bust. I am out at the cost on Joe Ryan. Yeah, the thing I like about Joe Ryan is he's still tinkering right like he's he he's aware of the issue he started throwing that splitter a lot more last season he was alternating between throwing both a slider and a sweeper and just throwing the sweeper at various times it's i I think he recognizes that he's not a finished product that the overall um i don't know the overall repertoire is not where it needs to be but I feel like that deceptive fastball does give him a relatively high floor. And maybe that's a weird thing to say about a guy who had, you know, whatever the, you know, four five one ERA last season and a really high one in the second half. It's worth pointing oh, out. And I'm not sure you mentioned it, but th- there was an injury uh, groin strain that coincided with the ERA jumping. So mm-hmm. I'm of many different minds on Joe Ryan. I think I'm a little higher on him than you guys are, but I am, a little lower on ADP now. I started out with him a little higher, but I've moved him down to 30 at starting pitcher. He's a divisive player, I would say, because it seems like some analysts really like Joe Ryan and some hate him. And I'm I'm on the side of hating Joe Ryan because my, my theory from Joe Ryan from the beginning, when he was in the minor leagues um, posting sub-two ERAs with like 12K per nine, and not appearing and yet not making any major prospect rank lists were that he was relying on this gimmick that then became a very trendy uh it it it, it became a trendy thing in the majors mm-hmm. the the um the vertical approach angle of the fastball the rising fastball creating whiffs at the top of the zone joe ryan did that 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 was his whole thing there wasn't great velocity on the fastball he he was pretty good at hiding it as well which, which I think helped it play even beyond. Yeah, it's deceptive. Um, yeah. But it, it, that was the whole thing. It was just this fast. That's basically all he had in the minors. And he's tried to add other things. You know, not, none of them really works if the, if the fastball doesn't work. And, and then he had that disastrous second half where he had a, a, so, okay, so his ERA was 298. Joe Ryan's ERA through June 26, almost halfway through the season, mm-hmm. was 298. It was 662 over his final 14 starts. His home run per nine rate over those final 14 starts was 3.2 per nine. Like, th- it would have been the worst rate in history, I'm sure, from a starting pitcher. It, the fact he did it over 14 starts, I mean, that's obviously not a small sample. There was the groin injury, uh, he did talk about how it 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 affected his ability to to push off and and was really compromising his mechanics. But even after finally going on the IO with that groin injury, coming back four seventy nine ERA in his final seven starts. So it's not like he was totally fixed or anything. And you know, Saris wrote an article in October uh, about the how the worm is turning for the battle of the top of the zone. How that rising fastball hitters are starting to figure it out finally. 
after pitchers used it as, as kind of just a cheap way to dominate them for so long. And considering that's Joe Ryan's whole game, that seems like kind of a problem. So I, I think he may just be done as true of a bust as there is because by midseason, he may be out of a job. And, uh, you know, there comes a point where the strikeout upside would be worth buying into, especially as much as I like strikeout pitchers this year, but he's going too early. <laughs> Given my concerns, he's going too early for that for me. The yeah. highest home run per nine by a qualifying pitcher was Matthew Boyd in 2020 with 2.24. <laughs> in a real season, it was Jose Lima in, two, in 2000, 2.20. Mm-hmm. Lance Lynn, 2023, 2.16, the second highest outside of the oh, 2020 season. Just so last year. Mm. And a reminder, over those 14 starts. He had a 5.73 RR. for Joe Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Big time struggles there. Uh, That Again, the ADP is SP25. I think Scott and I are closer to like SP40 on Joe Ryan. So we're out. Justin Steele, the ADP is 91.8 as the 26th starting pitcher off the board. Huge breakout season. His ADP this time last year, 291.4. 306 ERA, 117 whip. Just over a strikeout per inning, improved his control dramatically. He went from 3.8 walks per nine in 2022 down to 1.9 walks per nine last year. He always gets a ton of ground balls. He limits hard contact. Scott, some are hesitant to trust it with Justin Steele because he's a two-pitch pitcher who doesn't throw hard. 91.8 miles per hour on the fastball. Where do you stand? I mean, all of last year, I didn't trust it, and people kept arguing with me. He's, you know, he's going to win the Cy Young. What do you, Joe? He's Justin Steele's an ace. What are you talking about? And so, I guess I won the argument. Consider because now, like, it seems like I'm getting Justin Steele every draft. Like people are so out on him that now I'm the high guy, which I just find perplexing. Uh, he tends to go later than this in our drafts. I guess is part of it. So, so maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm just surprised how hard people are fading him given that I felt like I was taking on the world, world <laughs> with my Justin Steele takes last year. Uh, you know, he's, he's a great control pitcher. Gets more than a strikeout per inning. You know, obviously the ERA and whip were good last year. He kind of stumbled to the finish line, which is why he didn't end up winning the Cy Young, but it was still a 306 ERA. You know, if, and if he had a 306 ERA from start to finish, I probably wouldn't have been talking him down so much. Uh, so it's it's one of those situations where I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really know what to say more than, I, more than I that. Like, I, the, I don't know how I've ended up lapping the field on Justin Steele here. I think the biggest thing with Justin Steele is this profile. A lefty who throws a fastball and a slider whose fastball averages 91.8 miles per hour. Like for most of the time, I'm 30, turning 36 years old this year. I've been watching baseball for 30 years. For most of the time that I've watched baseball, that's like Randy choked. That's a, that's a lefty one out guy in the bullpen. And it's a testament to how good Justin Seal slider is, how good his command was last season and how much baseball has changed that this can be a viable profile as a starting pitcher. It's just, there are almost no examples of this profile working consistently as a starting pitcher. So I get the skepticism around him, but we're also talking about a guy with 
Now, two seasons of nearly 300 innings with an XERA right around 3.5 and an actual ERA right around 3.1. I think there's some risk, but you're not buying him at his upside. You know, we we saw his upside. Because 1.9 walks per nine last year with the 3.06 ERA, even when his walk rate was double that in 2022, he was a bad bad control pitcher in 2022, other end of the spectrum. And he had a 3.18 ERA. So Mm -hmm. I... You know, I wonder if part of it is just there There seems to be so much. There are some really high-profile baseball analysts, maybe more so in, in – maybe with a fantasy focus more than not. I'm thinking of like Eno Saris, Nick Pollock, Lance Brozdowski. Their evaluation of pitching is is just on another level, and it's so like individual it, – it, it's – it, it's really about like breaking apart individual pitching arsenals and it's become so popular that that way of evaluating pitching that yeah I think I think probably Justin Steele's fantasy value is being hurt when when looked at from that perspective but I'm I'm still primarily like a results oriented guy and I mean the results have been there for a while now for Justin Steele so Maybe it's unconventional, but if it works, it works. And there's plenty of evidence to believe it works. In other words, Justin Steele's got that dog in him. There you go. (laughs) Uh, Worth mentioning with the fastball, by the way, too. I think what helps it, there's probably a bit of deceptiveness there as well. The the Mm -hmm. spin rate has been 86th percentile or better each of the three years, but I guess it's mostly two years. Um, But 86th percentile last year, 96th percentile in 2022. And I do believe it's more of like a cut fastball than an actual just fastball. So uh, I think he's a pretty unique pitcher, and so far it's worked out very well for Justin Steele. Let's move on to Dylan Cease. The ADP is 94.4 as the 27th starting pitcher off the board. He followed up his breakout 2022 with a 458 ERA, 142 whip, Still provided 214 strikeouts. What went wrong? Well, kind of everything. Walks got even worse. Uh, Both his walks per nine and walk percentage were fifth highest among qualified starting pitchers. Quality of contact and BABIP went completely opposite of 2022. He struggled big time with runners on base. Swinging strike rate went from 15% to 13.6%. And the fastball velocity dropped over one mile per hour from 96.8 miles per hour to 95.6. Chris, I do think that Cease will be better than last year. The question is how much better because he has a lot to fix and he's still on the White Sox. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys are on the same boat, but I think still is the operative word there or is on the White Sox for now is how I'm viewing it. But I very much expect him to be traded before opening day. Maybe that's an unfair expectation. I know they're asking a lot. I think mid-season, according to reports, But either way, I think it's worth drafting a guy who's being drafted as a top 10 pitcher this time last year, who I think fundamentally isn't that much different than he was last year. I think he's a right-handed Blake Snell. In, in you know at the risk of overcomplicating things like he doesn't have the track record there but i th- are undercomplicating things um and like i expect probably not a sub 3 era probably not a sub 3 5 era but mm-hmm. something in the 3 8 range i think a whip closer to 1 2 
and 220 plus strikeouts is pretty much what I'm expecting from Dylan Cease, who has, as far as I'm aware, no injury uh, track record going back to the minors. I couldn't find anything last time I looked. Um, he certainly hasn't missed a start as a major leaguer due to injury. Yeah, I I get why we're down on him, but I think the thing with with Dylan Cease is, is kind of the Blake Snell thing. Mm-hmm. Buy when people are low, and right now people are low. Yeah, I was going to say, like, J- J- Dylan Cease seems like the cautionary tale for, for, for those who are buying into Blake Snell at full price. Uh, you know, Blake Snell had the 225 ERA last year. It was 220 for Dylan Cease two years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's just the, the parallel how parallel they were, the, the way they, they, they correlate like that is, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty revealing. And we all had Dylan Cease as a bust candidate last year. So we got that one right. How's the podcast? Dylan Cease. We were the Dylan Cease bust podcast. But I think the way we were presenting it then is he'll probably be more like 2021 Dylan mm-hmm. Cease, who put together a 391 ERA, a 1.25 whip, actually led the majors in K per nine, 12.3. So he was still a very good fantasy pitcher, mm-hmm. just not like an ace. And he regressed beyond that. I still think true Dylan Cease is more like that 2021 yep. version we saw. And that's that's closer to what I'm expecting this year. Mid to high three ZRA, a whip around one, two, five, and, and, and a ton of strikeouts. But let this be a warning that when a pitcher dramatically improves their quality of contact from one year to the next, be skeptical. He went from 383 expected Woban contact in 2021, 313 in 2022, which was one of the best marks in baseball among all pitchers, not just starting pitchers, right back to 383 in 2023. So significant regression there in a stat that pitchers do not have as much control over as you think. So that's that's the one thing to keep in mind when you're looking at other pitchers in similar situations. Next up, we have Joe Musgrove, ADP 96.2 as the 28th starting pitcher off the board. Weird year for Musgrove in 2023. He was limited to just 17 starts. He missed the beginning of the season with a fractured left big toe, uh, dealt with elbow bursitis, and then went on the IL in August with capsule inflammation in his right shoulder. The latest reports that we've heard is that Musgrove won't have any limitations in spring training. He's already thrown bullpen sessions and bounce back with uh, no issues. In fact, he will actually start Thursday's spring opener, February 22nd. When healthy, one of the most consistent pitchers in baseball. Uh, three years now with the Padres, 78 starts, 305 ERA, 109 whip, 9.5K per nine. Just rock solid SP2. When healthy, Scott, the question is, how healthy will Joe Musgrove be? Well, it sounds like he's completely healthy. And and I had a feeling it would play out this way. I guess we still don't know. But that, that they're expecting him to make one of the two starts in Korea uh, when the Dodgers and, and Padres have their opening day a week ahead of every other team, I, I think is very encouraging. I, I, people saw shoulder listed as his injury. And you know, shoulder injuries can't be scary. But this wasn't anything that put him under the knife. There are plenty of mild shoulder injuries, too. I think if they were in playoff contention last year, he would have made it back in time. And yeah, his numbers in three years with the Padres, very consistent from year to year. Low ERA, low whip, more than a strikeout per inning. He's the 29th pitcher taken on average right now, but I think as we see him make starts this spring, the velocity looks fine. I think Joe Musgrove is going to rise. 
Next up, we have Kyle Bradish, who again, we spoke about last week. He was diagnosed with a sprained UCL in his right elbow, will start the season on the IL. Since then, he did get a PRP injection, and he threw for the first time this past weekend. It's a big loss for fantasy. I was actually pretty in on Kyle Bradish uh, entering this year because he was awesome in 2023. He improved his control. He completely changed the pitch mix, has two awesome breaking pitches with that slider and curveball. He ranks amazingly high in Eno Saris's stuff, plus second highest among qualified starting pitchers. Uh, but with the injury, Chris, we've dropped uh, Kyle Bradish down to like the SP 60 to 70 range. Um, as of now, we wait, we wait to learn more information. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like about Kyle Bradish. I was a little more skeptical of him before the injury and the injury only exacerbates my skepticism. So I'm... Yeah, I think he's 58 for me at starting pitcher. Anywhere in that range, it, it doesn't matter too much what the exact order is, but it's to say that my expectations are very low at this point. And maybe we'll get to mid-March and he's pitching in games and it doesn't matter, but he is almost certainly going to start the season on the D- on the IL. I have some injury or performance concerns on top of that. It's possible he's healthy enough to pitch, but just doesn't pitch well because he's not a hundred percent. And I just, I, I certainly can't make him a big part of any strategy that I have at this point. We move past pick 100 where we find two names right next to each other. Both of which we happen to love in 2024, Yuri Perez and Cole Reagans. A heads up. Neither of them usually last as long in drafts that we do. Again, likely to be top 80 picks, both Yuri Perez and Cole Reagans. Uh, Perez, SP30 off the board, an electric pitcher with tons of prospect pedigree. He averaged 97.5 miles per hour on the fastball. Each of his secondary pitches had a swinging strike rate of 16% or better. Just awesome stuff. Kind of the inverse of Grayson Rodriguez, where his first 11 starts before getting sent down, he was awesome. Final eight starts after returning, not nearly as good. Uh, We heard last week that Perez will be on an innings limit this season. We're just kind of speculating ourselves, you know, somewhere in the 160 to 170 range. Obviously, he's nowhere near a finished product, Chris. Um, And we've talked a lot about the good. But any concern over how many fly balls and hard contact that Yuri Perez allowed last year? Because both were very high. The fly balls are are the big concern there, right? He had a 25.4% ground ball rate last season. I I haven't looked it up, but I don't think anybody has had a ground ball rate that low since Chris Young of the now Texas Rangers, world champion Texas Rangers. Um, He was consistently in the 20 to 30% range, but was still a very good pitcher. If you remember, Pete Chris Young was putting up mid to low threes ERAs in the middle part of the 2000s. He was not the control pitcher Yuri Perez is. He was not the strikeout pitcher Yuri Perez is. It is a concern. Home runs are going to be a problem with Yuri Perez. I think he's going to do enough else well, including induce infield fly balls and some weak contact that keeps the BABIP down, that I, I... it's a minor red flag, but as a general rule, I I, I don't think you can overhype Yuri Perez. Uh, you know, I, I I didn't even notice this crazy mm-hmm. low ground ball rate for Yuri Perez, and I think the reason I didn't 
you know, when I was going, cause obviously I look at that for every pitcher when I'm putting together my rankings. I think the reason it didn't like stick out in my mind is because you look at his minor league ground ball rates. Yeah. It was know. more normal. Yeah. It, it was, he was a fly ball pitcher in the minors too, but it wasn't like this historically low ground ball rate. It was over 40% uh, or 35 to 40% at least. So I just don't think that's, you know, because he happened to do it in his first dozen how many starts did he make it? 15, 19? He wound up making 19 starts in the majors. In his first partial season, I don't think that means this is who Yuri Perez is as far as fly. So, yeah, I, I, I don't even know that I put much stock in that at all. But go ahead, Chris. You have a lot uh, more to say on him, I'm sure. And then I, I just want to read off a list of pitchers who have thrown at least 90 innings as a 20-year-old over the past 20 seasons. Yuri Perez, Jose Fernandez. Jordan Lyles. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. Madison Bumgarner, Rick Porcello, Clayton Kershaw, Felix Hernandez, Zach Greinke. That's not even getting into the fact that Yuri Perez had a, an ERA of what? 30315 as a 20 year old at the major league level. Just getting to that many innings, 90 innings as a 20 year old over the past 20 seasons. You're talking about Jose Fernandez, one of the best pitchers I've ever seen. Madison Bumgarner, Rick Porcello, really, really good pitchers. Rick Porcello won a Cy Young Award. Zach Greinke, Felix Hernandez, Clayton Kershaw, three of the best pitchers of their generation. The fact that Yuri Perez was at the majors and pitching as often as he did as a 20-year-old, he history suggests he is probably going to win a Cy Young at some point. Then you add in the fact that he had a top 10 swinging strike rate with his curveball changeup and slider among all pitchers, including relievers. He throws 98 miles an hour with his fastball. I don't think you can overstate the upside with Yuri Perez. The upside here is he's the best pitcher in baseball on a per inning basis. I, I think that is a legitimate, realistic outcome for Yuri Perez this season. Chris, how do you rank Yuri Perez, Grayson, and Bobby Miller? Well, I mentioned it earlier. Start at 20. Freddie Peralta, Blake Snell, Grayson Rodriguez, Cole Reagans, Yuri Perez, Bobby Miller. Fair enough, but Scott. I, I think I'm the only all... one who ranked Yuri Perez ahead of Grayson Rodriguez. I guess so, yeah. Sounds like wow. Scott loves Yuri Perez. Wow. Mm. Mm. I've, I've taken over as the fantasy baseball today resident. I'll, I'll, Yuri I'll Perez. ship one of my Marlins hats to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let's get into a pitcher Scott actually loves, and that is Cole Reagans. 102.4 ADP, again, probably a top 80 pick if we're being realistic. The 31st starting pitcher off the board, former first-round pick from way back in 2016. He put up some gaudy strikeout numbers in the minors, but struggled with control. He entered last spring training with the Rangers. He added massive velocity last offseason, which he credits Tread Athletics for. And then he was traded to the Royals for Aroldis Chapman and he took off 11 starts down the stretch with the Royals, uh, 270 ERA, 107 whip, 11.6 K per nine, 15% swinging strike rate, has five different pitches that he uses. Uh, where he does fall short is the control, four plus walks in three of his final four starts. That's the downside. The upside is obviously everything else that I've mentioned, throwing hard from the left-hand side, massive strikeouts. Scott, go ahead. This is your boy. Did you give the numbers over his final 11 starts? I did. Okay. Didn't want to repeat them if you did. Yeah, so the key to unlocking that potential for Cole Reagans seemed to be the slider. It, 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 
it was the pitch that he decided in conferring with with Royals management that uh, he needed to to become more of a chase pitch because you know he he kind of became a new creation from the beginning last year. Fastball was up four miles per hour uh, at, at, in spring training, and, and and Reagan's put himself on my radar then. But then the results weren't that great, and the Rangers bullpen got traded for Roldis Chapman. You know, wasn't sure where it was going to ultimately end up end up, but he added that slider. It immediately became his best swing and miss pitch. But then you look at the whiff rate of his other four pitches. And the whiff rate on them is really good too. Not as good as the slider, but uh, you know, curveballs nearly 30%, changeups nearly 35%, fastballs nearly 30%, which is great for a fastball. The lowest is the cutter at 20 uh 24%, but that's still a pretty good whiff rate for a cutter. It's not normally a big swing and miss pitch. So he has five, I would say five swing and miss pitches. The slider being the best of them. He got that fastball up to 101 miles per hour during that 11 start stint with the Royals where he was dominating. And so if I'm, if, if, if given the approach I'm taking at starting pitching this year where I'm selling out for upside and specifically strikeout upside, then Cole Reagans is absolutely somebody I want. And to, to just demonstrate how high on I am on him relative to everyone else, when I was push, first putting together my rankings in October, before I had any idea what anyone else was doing, I had him 11th at starting pitcher. I saw how low the ADP was, and just so that you know, I wasn't reaching for him four rounds ahead of where I need to, I dropped him to 16th in my starting pitcher rankings, still well ahead of where he's going here by ADP. You mentioned, Frank, it's it's not realistic to think he's going to go as late as this ADP shows. My experience is in our own drafts, he never goes this late. But I keep people keep sending me screenshots of these teams they put together where they've got Cole Reagans in like round 10, round 11. I, I, I think among the fantasy laymen of the world, Cole Reagans isn't isn't being treated with nearly the respect he deserves. They're, I think they're maybe just mostly looking at the full season stats, which were obviously uh, in- include his time as a not-so-great reliever for the Rangers uh, because he is legitimately going this late. I'd love to get him this late. It hasn't happened in a draft before. I'm probably going to have to take him no rate later than round seven, maybe if I'm lucky, round eight in a 12-team league, and I'll be thrilled to get him there. But uh, I, I keep trying to push the envelope, getting a, in the hopes that I can get Cole Reagans as late as some of these people are showing, and and it's it's just not working out for me. Yeah, worth mentioning. I, I think the upside is sky high, especially with the strikeouts. There is injury downside as well associated with Cole Reagans. Mm-hmm. He's had uh, this is going to sound weird. One point five Tommy John surgeries. It was like a kind of Tommy John surgery that didn't go well. It had to be like reconstructed. Mm-hmm. So it's like. Not exactly two, but like mm. almost two Tommy John surgeries yeah. for Cole Reagan. I had been saying two, but that, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, and I'll and, also point out that there are control issues in Reagan's past yes. if we're going to give the full spectrum here. But um, his, very, even, his very recent past. In his final four starts, yeah. they showed up again. He had four walks or more in three of his final four starts, including one start. He had a sequence of three straight pitches where he, they were wild pitches. Um. So that stands out in your mind, and okay, yeah, I mean, that's a concern. Health is a concern. I said the same things about Freddie Peralta, and how much earlier is Freddie Peralta going? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, probably about a 50-pick a difference in terms of ADP. 
Uh, but yeah. realistically, probably like three rounds worth in, in the drafts that uh, we've been doing. Let's kind of wrap up, I guess, our ADP here today. Gosh, I wanted to get through 40 starting pitchers. SP32, Tanner Bybee. What's up? We got 15 minutes left. We can do it. We're going to get through eight pitchers in 15 yeah, minutes. Guys. Let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Let's do it then. About uh, after Cole Reagans, we dropped down a few picks to Tanner Bybee. His ADP 108, SP32 off the board. An incredible rookie season. He finished second in AL. Rookie of the year voting. Does not have overpowering stuff compared to other second-year pitchers, the Bobby Millers, the Yuri Perez's of the world. Um, and the XFIP and Sierra were both over four. So... There's a chance that we could see some regression. Chris, how much does that concern you? Because it was a great rookie season, but some of those ERA estimators not necessarily buying it with Tanner Bybee. The ones that take into account quality of contact, so specifically expected ERA, 369. Regression is there, but if Tanner Bybee had a 369 ERA this season, I don't think anybody should be disappointed in him. So I don't know how concerned I am there. I I think the problem here is, He's got kind of a not great fastball and the the secondary pitches are really good for Tanner Bybee. The problem that I'm looking at is the fastball velocity was down towards the end of the season over the last four or five starts. It was more in the 93.5 to 94 mile per hour range earlier on. It was more 95 to 95.5. So that's a little bit of a concern just because, the fastball is clearly the weakest pitch. The slider and changeup are very, very good pitches. And if the fastball regresses anymore, it's a fair question to wonder, you know, how much of last year's success can he sustain? But Bybee feels a little globby, but I think his youth probably pushes him out of it, right? I think the skill set is a little globby, but I don't want to write him off from taking a step forward. We evaluate pitching a little differently than we did when Zach Gallen first broke into the league, but I think we should be just as excited for Tanner Bybee as we were for Zach Gallen at that time. His control is going to get better. Yeah, and he put up massive numbers in the minors as well. I, I think the velocity point is a good one and one that if we have any readings during spring training, something that we should try and find out and learn more mm-hmm. about Tanner Bybee. You mentioned that he was maybe a little globby. And I think this is probably the time where we are kind of entering glob territory and we will get into Sonny Gray with an ADP of 113.4. Maybe not fair to Sonny Gray. He was awesome last year. Uh, SP33 being drafted right now, uh, signed a three-year, $75 million deal with the Cardinals this offseason. It is a positive park shift going from Target Field to Bush Stadium. Uh, Sonny Gray had a huge year, finished second in AL Cy Young voting. How did he do it? He changed the pitch mix. He lowered the sinker and the curve usage. He uh, threw his sweeper more. It's been a really good pitch for him. Also saw a slight velo uptick on the fastball. He went from 92.1 to 92.9. He was also the best starting pitcher in baseball at suppressing home runs last season. Maybe we see some regression in that department. Scott, Sonny Gray is also 34 years old, and he does have an extensive injury history. Uh, how do you feel about Sonny Gray here as a, around the 33rd starting pitcher off the board? Not great. I, I do have Sonny Gray inside the glob. I actually have Tanner Bybee ahead of the glob. So we, we are right at the point where we're, we're entering it, sure. I have, I have Gray in it, though. It's worth pointing out. And, uh, you know, last year he threw 184 innings. It was his first time getting to 180 since 
2015. Yep. So that is the extent of his his durability issues. And there's been a lot of up and down in ERA over that time. I understand he kind of changed his pitch mix last year. Certainly wouldn't be the first time Sonny Gray did that. But I think I think we're talking about a pitcher who you can't count on for volume and who probably you can't count on a strikeout per inning from. And that just that just seems to sum up the a, a globby pitcher like some a pitcher with that kind of profile doesn't have the upside uh to to overcome some of the bad luck starts that are likely to happen in this environment where balls put in play are often more damaging than they used to be so i I'm lower on Sonny Gray than this. I wouldn't mind him as like a number four in fantasy, and I have seen him fall that far, but I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't expect him to, to, to place high in Cy Young voting again. Let's just say that. We drop down into the 11th round of 12-team leagues where we have Justin Verlander, Chris Bassett, and Walker Bueller. Verlander, the ADP is 120.4. Feels like he aged five years going from 2022 to 2023. Uh, his season was delayed last year due to a strained right terrace major muscle in his right shoulder. And then what do you know? He shows up to spring this year a couple of weeks behind because of a right shoulder injury. You know, he's thrown over 3,500 career innings between the majors, um, between regular and postseason. On the surface, Verlander was still fine, but the strikeout rate, the swinging strike rate, they both dropped down a ton. The walks and the hard contact went up for Verlander. Chris, it just kind of feels like we're entering a clear decline for a 41-year-old, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, look, any anytime you're talking about a guy whose ERA rose almost 1.5 runs from one year to the next, you're probably looking at some decline and his expected ERA rose about a run. So I, I do think there is real decline for Justin Verlander. And the question that we have to ask ourselves and the question we have to figure out is, what does the further decline look like is it big step back in 2022 to 2023 big step back again or is it big step back and then he stabilizes i tend to think he's probably going to stabilize but i get why nobody really wants to rank justin verlander as if he's still a very very good pitcher even though he was still a very, very good pitcher last season even though strikeout rates were down although you know it climbed back up after he got to Houston and, and the stuff metrics, I think mostly point to the stuff improving after he got to Houston, which makes sense. Houston's a smart organization. They've maximized a lot of starting pitchers. I kind of like his price, even with this shoulder thing. I mean, we'll see, but what he said, if you looked at the quotes was basically I'm old and I don't bounce back as quick as I used to. Like he, he, he downplayed it. Look, every pitcher downplays every injury. Kyle Bradish says he's going to be fine. And, you know, we have skepticism around that, but it doesn't sound like Justin Verlander is like hurt, like injured, I guess, you know, that kind of distinction between hurt and injured. It sounds like he's more hurt than injured, I guess is the way I would put it. All right, let's move over to Chris Bassett, who has an ADP of 121.8. He is the 35th starting pitcher off the board. And if you remember, 
This time last year, the velocity was down around two miles per hour, and it took him some time, uh, actually a while into the season as well, to kind of regain that velocity. Eventually, he did, and he had a Chris Bassett-esque season. 360 ERA, 118 whip. He was one of five starting pitchers to reach 200 innings last year. He finished as a top 15. That's right. Top 15 starting pitcher in both formats. He's been very consistent if you remove the short in 2020. Bassett has had an ERA between 315 and 381 each of his last four full seasons. He remained a jack-of-all-trades type pitcher. Uh, Scott, not a sexy pick by any means, but Chris Bassett continues to get it done. Yeah, but I have him in the glob. He had his, he had a share of disaster starts last year that made you curse the day you drafted him. He happened to win 16 games. I don't know that you can pencil him in for 16. You know, maybe he'll get you 12 this year, and that'll make a big difference in where he finishes in the rankings. Uh, he's he's pretty globby. He's on the higher end of the glob just because of all the innings he throws. But I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I have four starting pitchers already by the time by the time Chris Bassett is his name's being called. A name that we've talked a lot about already this offseason is Walker Bueller. His ADP is 126.6, 36th starting pitcher off the board. He's 29 years old, coming back from his second Tommy John surgery and entering a contract year. Uh, last year, was looking at a late-season return. He made one rehab start. He threw two innings. He topped out at 96 miles per hour on the fastball and then decided against a return. The Dodgers at the time reiterated that he didn't suffer a setback, I'm not so sure. Look at the way everything has kind of transpired this offseason. Uh, he showed up to camp. Bueller's season will be delayed. That's what we know as of now. He won't be ready for opening day. And in fact, he won't pitch in any Cactus League games either. Uh, it all seems pretty scary. I've lowered Walker Bueller down to SP48 last week. Chris, uh, are, do you join me in, in lowering Walker Bueller with all this recent news? He's 42 for me, and I look at the guys behind him, and I'm not... I'm not super moved to move him behind most of them. I, I I will say like 48 would drop him just behind Brian Wu. And I know you like him a lot. And I would assume you have him ahead of Walker Bueller at this point. So I think that's reasonable. I, the thing with Walker Bueller, though, is basically every time we've seen him in the majors, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. The the shape of that production has been a little different from one year to the next. His strikeout rate has fluctuated a little bit. But he's always really, really good. I have a lot of concerns about the late start to the season. If you listen to the quotes, it sounds more like it's we don't want to make that like Shane Boz, like we talked about in the mailbag, I think, where we don't want to have to make that tough decision to shut him down or put him on the IL or limit his innings in season. We just want to get his start season started a little later. The nice thing is. He's going to be on the IL well before you have to set your first lineup in all likelihood because they start the season a week before everyone. So that helps. You'll have that flexibility. I think 36 is a little too high, but it's not so high that I'm definitely avoiding Walker Bueller. It's just he's got to fall more into the 45-ish range before I actually take him. And I would be willing to venture that since we've received this news, the ADP probably has been dropping because if I remember correctly, his ADP was around like the 30th starting pitcher off the board. So if it's down to 36 now, then he's probably actually going outside the top 40 um, in, in starting pitcher ADP. 
I think let's end there on the day. What I wanted to do and wrap up today's podcast with is over the past two days, we have now gotten through the top 36 starting pitchers. So technically, I'll put you guys on the spot. You probably already have an idea. Who are our favorites of the names we've talked about already? Starting pitcher preview one and two. Give me, I don't know, two or three of your favorite starting pitchers that we've talked about top 36 and ADP. Scott, you can go first. Yoshinobu Yamamoto... Cole Reagans, of course, and Yuri Perez. Gosh, I I'll thought you were going to say George Kirby. <laughs> no. I will throw an honorable mention to Justin Steele just because it seems like I'm always drafting him. So it's it's not like I see myself as a big Justin Steele fan, but I guess relative to everyone else, I am. Chris, two to three uh, favorites in the one top One thing 36. I do want to note is over the last week in NFC drafts, Walker Bueller is down to... Pitcher 67, they don't separate SP versus RP, so I'm not sure exactly where that comes out, but I would guess it's more like 45. What, what's the overall ADP? 177.64. Yeah, so that's a massive That's difference. where he, yeah. he's right behind Gavin Williams, Mitch Keller, and Jose Barrios. He's right ahead of Hunter Brown and Nick Pavetta, Christian Javier. Right. That's perfectly fine for Walker Bueller. I'll take him at that price. That's, so. m- that's, more, that's closer to like, the 50th starting pitcher off the board. Yeah, so that's yeah. I'm perfectly fine with that. As for my favorite starting pitchers to draft, I think it's obviously Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now, George Kirby. I think we can just move on. No, uh, sorry. Um, I love Logan Webb. I love Aaron Nola, Framber Valdez. I think that trio is going to be a big part of a lot of my staffs. Yuri Perez, obviously. Yeah, I'll go with those guys. All right. Three- Zach Eflin. Yep, uh, I think that one's fair as well. Grades out really well in terms of just the ATC projections. I think they have Eflin as like a SP12 or SP13. Mm-hmm. It's just, if he stays healthy, he's probably going to surpass where he's being drafted right now. Three pitchers for me over the past two days. Uh, Zach Wheeler, if he falls into the third round, it's a pitcher I will be looking at quite a bit. Uh, if I miss out on Zach Wheeler, Logan Webb, I, I mentioned, is, is going to be part of my main strategy at starting pitcher this year. And then... Usually as an SP3 in round seven or eight, Bobby Miller. I love Bobby Miller this year. I have him ahead of uh, Grayson Rodriguez and, and Yuri Perez. I like all three of those guys, but I do prefer Bobby Miller and have been winding up with a lot of him. We're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.